Hey, the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails, and with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers and with available features like the panoramic moonroof. You can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. Visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. If you're like me, it's now the end of the day, and you say, "Uh uh-oh, what are we going to have for dinner? Well, here's the solution. Eating better is easy with Factors Delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to go in just two minutes. You're going to have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Flexible for your schedule, get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries at any time. Also, there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, premium options with no cooking required. Sign up and save. We've done the math. Factor is less expensive then take out and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. What are you waiting for? Get started today and get after your goals. Head to factormeals.com slash smirconish50 and use code smirconish50 because you'll get 50% off. That's code smirconish50 at factormeals.com slash smirconish50. Get your 50% off. Welcome. With Michael Smirkanish. Hi, it's Michael Smirkanish. As a Sirius XM and CNN host, I'm known for speaking, but frankly, I read for a living. I need to know what to say, and so I consume over two dozen newspapers and websites daily. I read opposing views and studies and court cases and orders and op-eds just so I can discuss current events on radio and television. But my favorite reading? Books. Old school. And my favorite interviews are with book authors. Book Club with Michael Smirconish is now in session. George Will hardly requires introduction to my audience. He is, of course, the syndicated columnist, the Pulitzer Prize winner, who has a brand new book out. It's called American Happiness and Discontents, The Unruly Torrent, 2008 through the year 2020. It's a collection of columns that have been authored by my guest. It's a real privilege to have you here. Thank you so much. I'm glad to be with you. So take me into the space. I don't know if you're seated there now, but you describe very early in the book that there's a townhouse three stories tall built in 1810 in what today is the Georgetown section of Washington, D.C., and it's there that you work. So if I were at your knee or at your elbow, what would I see? Well, across from me is a picture of Jackie Robinson stealing home base. Uh, the walls are covered with uh uh, baseball stuff, which will not surprise anyone who knows anything about me. I bought this townhouse from a woman 
who was 90-some at the time she'd grown up in it, and her parents remembered Abe Lincoln's son walking down to the corner to get a pail of beer from the saloon. That's how they sold beer in those days. So I'm, I'm very much enmeshed in Washington. And frankly, I'm a Washingtonian by now. I've, I've been here more than 50 years. And uh, I'm, I'm part of the swamp. And, and frankly, I'm, I, I like the city. When you're writing, is there music playing? Are there people around? Are you smoking or <laughs> drinking? How are you getting in the mood? Uh, I usually have uh, the Major League Baseball channel on television muted, uh, but uh, I, I like to look up and see baseball. What time of day are you writing? Uh, generally in the morning. Uh, by mid-morning, I've done the requisite reading of the aggregators, real clear politics, real clear policy, real clear world events, etc., and the major newspapers, and it's on with writing. I, I actually love to write. A great many writers find it a painful duty, but you know, the great sports writer, Red Smith, once said, nothing to writing, you just open a vein and bleed. I don't feel that way at all. I just think it's fun putting sentences together. I once asked the great David McCullough a question that he thought improper. I asked him, how long <laughs> does it take him to write? And he said, the writing's not the difficult part, the thinking is the difficult part. Does George Will spend more time thinking about writing one of the columns that is in the new book or writing it? Right. Uh, writing it. Uh, it's uh, I, I don't know what I'm going to write until I write it in the sense that, you know, it, 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 the process of writing is a process of thinking something through. I think it was Peter DeVries, who I think is the wittiest American writer, the late Peter DeVries since uh, Mark Twain, who said, I write when I'm inspired, and I make a point of being inspired at 9 a.m. every morning. And that's just <laughs> my view. I've been rehearsing for this moment. Let's see if I can pull it off. <clears throat> In Miami, he had walked carefully by the harsher realities, speaking some 20 feet from an airport drinking fountain labeled colored, and saying that the condition it represented was more amenable to solution by the hearts of men than by laws, and complimenting Florida as, quote, typical today of what is best in America, a verdict which might seem to some contingent on finding out what happened to the Negro snatched from the Wildwood Jail on Sunday. That is a 75-word sentence that you did not author. Who did and why am I bringing it up? You're bringing it up because Murray Kempton wrote it. And when I first got to uh, Trinity College in Hartford in the fall of 1958, I matriculated about four months after my 17th birthday. I did what a boy from the Midwest would do. I went down to New York to see the big city, and I plunked a, uh, a nickel down in the cavernous, lovely uh, waiting room of Grand Central Station and bought the New York Post and read Murray Kempton, the columnist, and said, you know, that is it is such fun to read. It must be that fun to write. And I think I'm a columnist today because I spent that nickel. Was that a well-crafted sentence? It's brilliant. Now, it makes demands <laughs> on people. Now, let me say something about that. Uh, most Americans don't read newspapers, and a majority of the minority who read newspapers don't read the columnists. Reading a column is utterly optional. The president hasn't issued a mandate on that yet, unfortunately, that everyone has to read columns. But that is kind of liberating because what it means is that your audience is self-selected. They came, they find you because they want to. 
And that means they're interested in the subject. And that means they have a well-stocked mental pantry of information about politics. So you can assume that you're talking to an intellectually upscale audience. You don't need, you don't dare to write down to them. And you can actually use words that are a little bit off the beaten path. I wrote a column about Mike Pence not long ago, in which I referred to him as the oleogenous vice president. And I, I think I crashed the Webster's Dictionary website as people say, what the devil is that? Well, I wasn't showing off. If you look it up, it's exactly the right word for Mike Pence. I remembered as I read the book, I remembered about half the columns because I think like much of the audience that's listening or will watch us, uh, we're fans of your work, even if we're not always agreeing with George Will. And I know that you don't require agreement to patronize your work. This I had not seen, and it's it's so timely. When 13 service personnel died by virtue of that blast at the Kabul airport on our way out of Afghanistan recently, I said to my radio producer, I would really like to talk to someone who has the unenviable task of knocking on doors. So I'm early in the book. You dedicate the book for Sarah Walton, to whom I am indebted for her many years of indispensable assistance and to whom the nation is indebted parenthetically, see page 492. And I'm so glad that you wrote this because it's about exactly that process that unfortunately knocked on her door. Yeah, it's a column about a book, as I recall, that uh, dealt with the contact groups that go out uh, in dress uniform from the various services when a member of the service is killed in action. Uh Sarah's husband was Lieutenant Colonel uh, Jim Walton, class of uh, 1989, West Point, uh, who was killed in action. She had forgotten, Sarah had, that the requirement uh, that you're supposed to tell the military when when you're not going to be at home and you have a spouse in a combat zone. He was killed by an IED, improvised explosive device, in Afghanistan. Very few lieutenant colonels get killed in combat. Uh, And uh, they found her and showed up on her doorstep. So she's paid a price, and uh, uh, she's one of those gold star widows, like gold star parents, who uh, have, I'm sure, very difficult thoughts as they see the squandered valor in Afghanistan. The casualty officer who knocks on her door, Lieutenant Colonel Beck, is quoted as saying, the knock on the survivor's door is not a period at the end of their lives. It's a semicolon. I don't know if I'm catching you cold with that quote, but what what did that mean? It meant you go on. It meant that uh, actually uh, earlier in the column, he said that one of these fellows who has to deliver this awful news said they sit in the car because they want to extend the pre-death period of the the life. Uh, It's a colon in that you're never the same, but it's it's not a punctuation that ends anything. It just opens a new chapter of your life. Am I right that in the span of a half century, you've generated about 6,000 columns? That is right. How many clinkers? (laughs) None. They're all deathless and brilliant. I'll tell you, the book contains one that may have stirred more outrage than any other. It's the one where it's my Jeremiah against the plague of denim infecting the United States. 
I, I finally got so sick of seeing you in an airport concourse and a father, maybe 40, and his 12-year-old son are walking down the concourse and they're dressed exactly alike. Tennis shoes, blue jeans, T-shirt. And if the mother's there, she's wearing blue jeans. And it just seemed to me that there used to be a time when we dressed age appropriately and we dressed in ways that indicated that childhood ended and the childish adult would not be with us. Now today, the, the infantilization of the American adult is, is, is part of a problem because I'm a firm believer in the axiom, the truism really, that politics is downstream from culture. And when I was putting this book together, I was surprised how much I had written about culture. Two, two sections are particularly uh, of interest to me. The, and they fo follow one another. The first is on parenting. Something weird happened in this country in the last 20 years or so when the noun parent became a verb. Parenting is like calculus. It's complicated. And if you do it really well, you get what's called parental perfectionism. You can take an awesome child, make him even more awesome, wrap him in bubble wrap so he has no sense of failure ever, which is sort of too bad because learning to cope with failure is called growing up. It used to be at any rate. And then you deliver these bubble wrapped children to campuses where lo and behold, they say, we don't want freedom of speech. We want freedom from speech that might disturb our serenity. And they want a safe space while the bias response teams from the university administration sweep the campus to make sure there's no discordant speech going on that might upset these brittle little people. Uh, so the, the parenting gives rise to what goes on on campuses and what happens on campus doesn't stay on campus. So they graduate and they go to work in America's corporations that then become woke as can be. And the human resources departments go out of their way to continue the bubble wrapped life of these people. Sorry for the diatribe, but I'm I'm annoyed. It's okay. I want to I want to stay with the the parenting theme because for me this was the most impactful column in George Will's new collection of columns called American Happiness and Discontents. I'm going to read a paragraph. The day after John was born, a doctor told John's parents that the first question for them was whether they intended to take John home from the hospital. Nonplussed, they said they thought that was what parents do with newborns. Not doing so was, however, still considered an acceptable choice for parents who might prefer to institutionalize or put up for adoption children thought to have the necessarily bleak futures, whether warehoused or just allowed to languish from the lack of stimulation and detention, people with Down syndrome not given early and continuing interventions were generally thought to be incapable of living well and hence usually did not live as long as they could have. You refer to, to John's parents. Who are John's parents? Uh, me and uh, his mother. Uh, we were, as I said, nonplussed when they said this. Uh, it was considered just as recently as 1972, it was considered an acceptable choice to institutionalize an infant or put up for adoption. Uh, we were told that uh, lots of bad information that John would never be toilet trained, that the life expectancy, which is tr true at that point, was 20 years. John will be 50 next year. John uh, whips around Washington on uh, 
the metro and on public transportation. He has it. He works during the baseball season in the Washington Nationals clubhouse, which means he gets up in the morning and goes to a major league ballpark, which means he has a better job than I've got. Um, he's a, he's a delight. There's another column related to this, which is uh, it's about Iceland solving the Down syndrome problem. And I said, what? How did my son John, people like him, become a problem? The same thing with Iceland is Iceland is very pleased with itself because through prenatal testing, you can tell if you're going to have a Down's child. And uh, doctors uh, are part of, frankly, a, a persuasion, persuading people uh, not to have Down syndrome children. 90% of uh, uh, pregnancies that are in which Down syndrome is detected are, are, are terminated, which I think is a shame because the world would be a lot nicer place if there were more people like John in it. Uh, so uh, uh, it, it, this is, it seems to me, within strict meaning of the word genocide. Genocide is trying to destroy and eliminate a category of people. Well, John's a people, and people like him are um, being destroyed, and I think it's a shame. Are there columns you wish you could take back? And if so, is anything at the top of that list? Uh I th- yeah, yeah. Uh, not, none are in the book, or, or I wouldn't put it in, but I think the most foolish column I've written ever might have been, uh, we were approaching the year 2000, and I said, I wanted to pick the man of the millennium, and I picked Thomas Jefferson. Uh, my father, who was a professor of philosophy, uh, and who disapproved of the fact that I sank to journalism, uh, says perfect nonsense. He says Newton was the man of the century. And and I the, the more I've learned about Thomas Jefferson, the less enthusiastic I am about him. Um, the more I like Hamilton, John Marshall. Uh, I think the the three most important Americans are, are Lincoln, Washington, and Chief Justice John Marshall, because he gave us a strong Supreme Court to exercise supervision over the excesses of majoritarian institutions. So, yeah, my celebration of Jefferson was uh, a clunker. We have a minute left together. Why do you believe that in a climate of social media, books are more relevant than they've ever been? Well, because they're so obviously superior to social media in every way. I don't tweet. Uh, Someone tweets twice a week episodes from my column. I have a Facebook page. I'm told. I've never seen it. Uh, Books last. Books can you put on a shelf and be brought down and consulted. You can underline a book. You can't underline a tweet. And most things tweeted don't deserve underlining anyway. So I think that the books, for all the chatter about the new media, books are still the primary carriers of ideas, and ideas have consequences. Indeed, ideas are the only things that have large and lasting consequences. I thoroughly enjoyed the book. The book is called American Happiness and Discontents. Mine is all marked up with stickums and with underlying, and it's nice to have George Will on the program. Thank you so much for being here. It was great fun. Let's do it again. We will. Thank you for that. Uh, Okay. There's George Will. Hear more of Michael Smirconish on Sirius XM's POTUS Channel 124. Live weekdays from 9 a.m. to noon east or anytime on the Sirius XM app. Connect with Michael on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and at Smirconish.com. Book Club with Michael Smirconish. New episodes drop Tuesdays and Fridays. Spring, is that you? Warmer temps mean new Albert styles. 
Meet the new Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. That means more comfort and less baggage. Experience how Allbirds is redefining comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24. I'm Roman Mars, host of 99% Invisible. I'm excited to be teaming up with Lexus GX and Sirius XM on some very special 99PI episodes. We're heading to some of the cities in the U.S. that have special meaning for me and exploring the ways that these cities marry form and function. To learn more about the Lexus GX and Sirius XM and Lexus vehicles, visit Lexus.com slash GX and SiriusXM.com slash Lexus Trial. The all-new Lexus GX. Live up to it. Check out the 99% Invisible feed now and listen to these special episodes.